Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Six Packers. Welcome back to the Cantankerous Catholic, episode number nine. The Catholic Church is ridiculed and finds no credibility among the American people today, mostly due to the sex scandals in the priesthood. This ridicule and disdain among Americans who aren't Catholic is understandable and well-earned because our feckless bishops have been far more interested in their Episcopal careers and immoral political agendas than being shepherds of souls. Sadly, many Catholics have come to hold the church in contempt as well because they don't know how to distinguish the difference between the church established by Christ from the men who run it with malfeasance. But that's another subject altogether. Because Americans hold the church in contempt, it's become an easy thing for the left to use the government to persecute the church. Admittedly, the official persecution of the church that we saw under President Obama has come to a screeching halt under President Trump. But when Trump leaves office, we can expect a renewed persecution. The church asks for very little from the state. She only asks for religious liberty, which is an inalienable right, and that public servants execute their duties with diligence and honesty. That's it. In fact, what the Catholic Church asks of the state is the very same thing that every other religion in this country asks. But the left is making it increasingly difficult for religions in America to freely practice our faiths, despite that the First Amendment guarantees that the government will protect our God-given rights. As a matter of fact, the anti-American and anti-Constitution left is doing its level best to tear down and shred the Constitution and all that America has traditionally stood for over the past 243 years. Consequently, the federal government has overreached and grabbed more and more power over the people of this country. Rather than the government being the servant of the citizenry, it's quickly becoming a slave owner, and we average everyday Americans are the slaves. Certainly, I believe in the power of prayer and that God can save us and our nation at any time he wants, and without our help. But St. Ignatius of Loyola wisely said that we are to pray as if everything depends on God, but to work as if everything depends on us. The framers of the Constitution understood the wisdom of what Ignatius said, even if they may not have ever read his statement. So they placed two safeguards in the Constitution that enable us to protect ourselves from a government that might become too big and too powerful. It's time to use one of those safeguards, and there's a big movement on to do so. Failing that solution, the other safeguard may very well have to come into play later. We'll talk about those safeguards when we come back. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. 
That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics, so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step -step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. In case you haven't figured it out by now, I'm a patriot. Patriotism is a virtue, and the constant 2,000-year teaching of the Catholic Church has always listed it as a major and important moral virtue. In other words, part of being Catholic is being a patriot. I may wear my patriotism on my sleeve a little bit more than most folks. I freely admit that. Perhaps part of that comes from my service in the Army. Every man in my family has served this nation in the military, and we've fought in every single war from the Revolution to the present. My father won the Silver Star, and he was promoted five steps in rank for the courageous act that got him that Silver Star in Korea. My uncle served in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, and he had a chest full of medals, including the Bronze Star with clusters and the Purple Heart with clusters. One of my sons did two tours in Iraq and paid a real high price for it. So maybe I've got an acceptable excuse for being a little outspoken about my patriotism. I love the church Jesus founded above all else in this world because to love Jesus' church is to love him. But my love for America runs a very close second. This is the only country on the planet where you can be born in and grow up in the worst possible situation you can imagine and still grow up to become whatever you choose. This is the only country in the world where you're free to say whatever you think. This is one of the very few countries where you don't have to have identification papers to travel from one region of the country to another. We Americans have held these liberties dear for 243 years, and we paid to keep them with our blood. We're at a crucial point in our nation's history when the liberties we cherish are in danger of being taken from us permanently. Every single Democrat candidate for president is promising us their version of freedom. Free health care, free daycare, free college, a guaranteed income, free government-approved food, paid maternity leave, and free abortions if you don't want the maternity leave. The list of freebies goes on much longer than this, but this is a good start. Everybody likes free stuff, but in reality, there's no such thing as something for nothing. Everything costs. In the case of all the freebies Democrats are offering us, the personal cost is too high. 
These people don't care about us. They don't care about our health care or college tuition. They only care about being in control of us. Through these freebies they promise us, they want to tell us what to think, what to say, how to act, what to eat, whether we can have children, whether we can go to college, and what type of medical care we have. They want to turn us into servants of the state when they're supposed to be our servants. The government gets bigger and bigger every day. Our debt is massive and unsustainable, and we're being regulated to death. Almost nothing the government does today is constitutional, and if the left is successful, absolutely nothing they promise to do is permitted by the Constitution. How do they get away with it? Well, they count on us being lazy, ignorant, and so grateful that our lives are being managed for us that we'll just sit back and let them completely ignore and pervert the Constitution and all that is right and just. But we can stop this progress backward to the Middle Ages because our founding fathers were looking out for us way back in 1787. As I said, the Constitution provides two solutions for the people to stop a power-hungry government from lording power and control over the people. Let's talk about the first one. When the framers of the Constitution met in Philadelphia in 1787, they formed a magnificent blueprint for governing a nation. Of course, that would be the Constitution. Initially, they made one mistake, though. They assumed the people serving in the three branches of government would always be good people of integrity and high moral character. One man saw this flaw in the Constitution. His name was George Mason. As the Constitutional Convention began to wind down, Mason asked a simple and wise question. He told his brother framers that the Constitution was great, but asked what recourse the people would have if politicians and the government became so big and powerful as to threaten the liberties of the people. That was a real aha moment for the other delegates, so they wrote another article into the Constitution as a protection for the people from a big and powerful government. That would be Article 5. Article 5 provides for the state legislatures to petition Congress for a convention of states to propose amendments to the Constitution for the purpose of reining in the power of the federal government, returning the power of governance to the people. Let me explain how this works. The people of a state petition their own state legislators at the state capitol in both houses, telling them they want the power of the federal government brought under control. The legislators then debate the issue in their state House of Representatives and state Senate. Once the debate is over, the legislators of the respective legislative houses vote. If the Article 5 convention is approved by the legislators, they then publish a resolution in favor of demanding that Congress call a convention of states. Article 5 requirements for making Congress call the convention is that 34 of the 50 states have to apply for it. The movement is only five years old, and already it's worked through the laborious political process to get 14 states to pass a convention of states resolution. Another eight are likely to pass this year because they've already passed in one chamber. Nine other states have active legislation pending. The two greatest fears expressed for having a convention of states is that it could become a runaway convention that completely dismantles our constitutional liberties and that Congress would control the convention, making anything it tried to accomplish a waste of time. 
These fears, as well as others, are from disinformation spread by billionaire George Soros and a number of leftist organizations he backs financially. It's not possible for a convention of states to be a runaway convention. The framers of our Constitution were wiser than that. They placed numerous checks and balances to ensure the safety of such a convention. Opponents of a convention have since rallied around a new set of arguments claiming that Congress, not the states, will control any Article V convention. That's impossible. The only thing Congress can do is establish the time and place for the convention of states. It's up to the states to establish the rules, and those rules will have clearly defined parameters. The most popular proposed amendments to be debated at a convention of states are called the Abbott Amendments, formulated by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Governor Abbott proposes nine constitutional amendments. The First Amendment is to prohibit Congress from regulating any activity that occurs wholly within one state. The Second Amendment is to require Congress to balance its budget. I think we'd all like to see that happen. The Third Amendment is to prohibit administrative agencies and the unelected bureaucrats that staff them from creating federal law. As it is right now, Congress has abrogated its legislative powers to bureaucrats and agencies to make regulations that carry the force of law. Violating those regulations can have penalties including stiff fines and prison time. The Fourth Amendment would be to prohibit administrative agencies and the unelected bureaucrats that staff them from preempting state law. As it stands right now, the laws that bureaucrats and agencies such as the EPA and OSHA make laws that override state law, despite the constitutional guarantee of states' rights. The Fifth Amendment that Governor Abbott proposes allows for a two-thirds majority of the states to override a U.S. Supreme Court decision. For example, if the states had this power in 1973, and since over 90% of the people saw abortion as murder then, we could have stopped abortion from ever becoming an issue. The Sixth Amendment would require a seven-justice supermajority vote for U.S. Supreme Court decisions that invalidate a democratically enacted law. Repeatedly, the Supreme Court and federal judiciary have advanced agendas they've had by declaring unconstitutional laws that have been passed in individual states and ballot initiatives, thus thwarting the will of the people. The Seventh Amendment Governor Abbott proposes is to restore the balance of power between the federal and state governments by limiting the former to the powers expressly delegated to it in the Constitution. According to the Tenth Amendment, the federal government can't do anything that the Constitution doesn't expressly authorize. For example, under President Carter, the Department of Education was formed, taking authority over schools away from the states in most instances. Consequently, our world's standing and the educational achievements and abilities of our children have caused us to be in chronic decline for 40 years, because the DOE focuses on leftist indoctrination rather than genuine education. We produce two generations of ignorant Americans because of it, yet there's nothing in the Constitution authorizing the federal government to interfere with how we educate our children. The Eighth Amendment he proposes would give state officials the power to sue in federal court when federal officials overstep their bounds. 
As it stands now, when the federal government makes a law that invalidates an individual state law, the people of that state just have to suck it up. Finally, he proposes an amendment to allow a two-thirds majority of states to override a federal law or regulation. In other words, if we the people don't like a federal law we consider absurd and overreaching, then two-thirds of the states can vote the will of the people to put a stop to the federal law. The Abbott Amendments aren't the only popular proposed amendments. There are also what are popularly known as the Liberty Amendments. These were authored by the famed conservative radio and television commentator Mark Levin. More than a popular voice on the airwaves, Levin is also one of the greatest constitutional scholars alive and founder of the Landmark Legal Foundation, a conservative nonprofit legal advocacy group. There are ten amendments proposed by Levin. Here are some of them. Term limits for Congress. Some members of Congress have been there 40 or 50 years, never having had a real job in the real world. They've made a career of public service when the framers of the Constitution only intended members to be part-time for a short period. An amendment that repeals the 17th Amendment and restores the way the framers of the Constitution originally intended for senators to be sent to Congress. Constitutionally, the job of a senator is to represent his state's best interests, while a representative's job is to represent the people's best interests. The framers of the Constitution originally established that senators were to be chosen by the individual state legislatures to look out for the best interests of the state they represent. Thanks to the enactment of the 17th Amendment, senators are no longer loyal to their states. They only represent the federal government and its interests. This has been the single greatest contributing factor to the federal government making we the people servants of the government rather than the government being the servant of we the people. Term limits for Supreme Court justices. The current lifetime appointments shape the direction of the Supreme Court for 30 or 40 years. The high court has become a tyrant as a result. Limit federal bureaucracies. Many, indeed most, of the federal agencies we have today aren't even authorized by the Constitution. This amendment would substantially reduce the size and power of the federal government. An amendment protecting private property rights. As it is right now, Americans don't really have any property rights. The federal government can tell you what you can and can't do with the property you own, and in some cases, they take that property away from you if you don't comply with what the federal government demands. The Convention of States movement is growing by leaps and bounds, being joined and promoted by liberty-loving Americans everywhere. Some of the supporters for the Convention of States movement, besides Governor Abbott and Levin, are commentator Sean Hannity, Senator Rand Paul, Governor Sarah Palin, commentator Ben Shapiro, Dr. James Dobson, Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Tom Coburn, Senator Jim DeMint, Governor Mike Huckabee, Governor Bobby Jindal, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, Fox News host and commentator Steve Hilton, constitutional expert and Fox News contributor Judge Andrew Napolitano, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Ben Sass, businessman Pete Coors, the owner of the Coors Brewing Company, Ben Carson. This list of well-known political news and business people could go on and on. 
I personally fully endorse the Article 5 Convention of States movement, and I support it as best I can, because I love America and I love liberty. The show notes for this episode include lots and lots of links to resources so you can become better informed. After all, an informed citizenry is an active citizenry, and an active citizenry is a free citizenry. 90% of my eggs are in the Convention of States movement basket, but the Constitution also provides one other means of defending ourselves against the tyranny of an overreaching federal government in case we don't manage to get a Convention of States in time. I hate the idea of using it, but I'm glad to know it's there. I'm talking about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Contrary to what most Americans think today, this amendment doesn't exist so people can hunt or defend themselves from unjust aggressors, although those are welcome side benefits of this amendment. The key to understanding the purpose of this amendment are the words being necessary to the security of a free state. This amendment exists, then, to keep a free people free. It exists so we can protect ourselves from our own government when it becomes tyrannical. Notice that the framers worded this amendment with the most imperative language. It says that this right shall not be infringed. That means that any gun control law is absolutely unconstitutional. There's been a gun-grabbing movement by the left for years. If they had their way, only police and military would have guns. Now just think about that. Do you really want to live in a country where the only people who have guns are the police and the military? Then those who are lusting for complete power and control over us would have the absolute ability to force us into a state of servitude. The left claims that gun control is necessary to stop mass shootings like those at Las Vegas and Orlando nightclub and the Parkland and Sandy Hook school shootings. The lie is that gun control will put a stop to these incidents. The reality, though, is that guns don't kill people. People kill people. There isn't one documented instance in all of world history where a gun, or any other type of weapon for that matter, just up and started killing people. Every time people have died from a gunshot wound, it's been because someone first pulled a trigger. Leftists tell us that if we control the availability of and access to guns by law, then we can stop mass shootings. Let's see how that's worked out so far. The very first gun control law was in 1928, making it illegal to own fully automatic weapons. The idea was to stop organized crime from having access to the Thompson machine gun. How'd that work out? Well, today, 91 years later, who possesses and uses fully automatic weapons? Certainly the military and law enforcement have them, but so do criminals. Criminals don't care about the law. I was in Chicago six years ago. I got lost and ended up in the south side of the city, thankfully during daylight hours. Chicago is among the three toughest gun control cities in the nation. Yet as I drove down a residential street, I saw two men who I presumed were gang members casually walking on the sidewalk with M16s on their shoulders. So much for the effectiveness of gun control laws. If every gun on the face of the earth were confiscated today, criminals would still have guns. 
As long as there's a machine shop and a machinist anywhere in the world, there are going to be guns. You can't stop them. As I said earlier, any gun control law is unconstitutional. The whole reason our founding fathers made it this way is so we could stop, by force if necessary, any attempt by the federal government to subjugate the American people. That's why Thomas Jefferson said the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Having fought the Revolutionary War that gave birth to our country, Jefferson understood the need for citizens to maintain the right to keep and bear arms. All Americans enjoy and want to retain their liberties. Unfortunately, those liberties are being curtailed just a little bit more every day. The Founding Fathers gave us Article 5 of the Constitution to correct the situation we find ourselves in today. Failing our ability to convince the citizens of enough states to petition Congress for a convention of the states, we can always fall back on the Second Amendment. Obviously, a convention of the states is preferable. In either case, may God have mercy on us all. What did Billy D. Williams the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ Church is full of scandal, our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, and laity-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. The Ascension Press mission is to present the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith as a path to a fulfilled life and authentic happiness. They share valuable resources, create powerful media, and build communities to answer the longings of the human heart with the transformative power of the gospel. For the past 20 years, everything they've done at Ascension has been aimed to help Catholics have that encounter. From their Bible studies to their sacramental prep programs, from their Q&A style books to their free online videos, everything has been focused on that encounter. After helping over 1 million Catholics and 8,000 parishes and producing more than 50 faith formation programs, Ascension Press believes that the secret to an encounter with God really isn't so secret, and it can be found in the promise made by Jesus himself in Matthew 18.20. 
For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's a promise. And it's a promise from the highest source there is, a promise from the God who never breaks his word. They trust the promise of God, and they base their programs and studies on that promise. When you run an ascension program, you're acting on trust in that promise. You're meeting in a group in the name of Jesus, in the name of understanding his word, trusting in the power of God's promise that he will truly be present in your midst. That's not a light thing to say, but they didn't say it. God did. Whether you're just starting out on your faith journey or well along the road, Ascension Press has something for you because they've been there too. I strongly endorse Ascension Press as a great Catholic contributor. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Joe E. Brown. Now, he was a popular comedian and film star in the 1930s and 40s. He lost his son in World War II, but he also did numerous USO shows to entertain the troops. One day, he was entertaining a large group of American soldiers on an airstrip in New Guinea. It had been a long show because these soldiers were starved for some fun, and Joe was only too happy to oblige them. Every time Joe got ready to stop, the men would scream and applaud and make him go on. Finally, he said, listen, you kids, that's all I know. I've given you all I've got. They kept up the racket, and then there was a little break in the noise. Way back at the edge of the crowd, a youngster shouted, hey, Joe, tell us some dirty stories. You could have heard a pin drop. The boys looked at Joe. He stood there a moment and just forgot he was a comedian and told them just exactly what he would have told his own sons. Listen, you kids, I've been on stage since I was 10. I've told all kinds of jokes to all kinds of people, but I'm proud that in all that time, I've never had to stoop to a dirty story to get a laugh. I know some dirty stories, kids. I've heard plenty of them in my life, but I made a rule a long time ago that I'd never tell a story that I wouldn't want my mother hear me telling. Then the applause came. It went on and on, and the youngster who asked for the dirty story was applauding right along with the rest of them. Within two weeks, the news got halfway around the world. The letters began coming in from parents, and many of them read, I'm going to pray for you every night for what you've done for my boy. Our society and culture are so crass and crude today that most people don't even think twice about telling dirty stories and jokes. In fact, my wife frequently says that she can remember when the air was clean and sex was dirty. A dirty story or joke shows your lack of decency and exposes the state of your soul. It disgusts people who care for the clean things of life. It dishonors your parents, your friends, and even yourself. Worst of all, it dishonors God. Like Joe Brown, say nothing that you wouldn't want your mother to hear, especially your blessed mother. Remember that God sees and hears you. I'll see you next time, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.